So welcome to the first episode of Ramadan in Lockdown. I'm here with my boy Jubair. Thank you for being here, giving me your time. And though we're fasting right now and the sun is blazing, you know, you've given your time to me. So apologies if you get parched after this. You're in for a treat, people. So without further ado, we're in isolation. We're in lockdown. What's your face saying, bro? How are you grooming yourself? Have you let yourself go? Firstly, uh, thank you for having me on your amazing podcast. It's what's keeping me going during this sweet man turbulent times. I don't need music when your when your voice is there. Mashallah, it's very soothing and comforting. And in terms of uh, my grooming, I I have a pathetic beard to be honest. Uh, my goal is to make it connect. I have I have a, I have a bit of a goatee thing going. Um, I try maintaining it somehow, like shaping it up now and then. But yeah. Inshallah, one day it'll, it'll connect and we'll be full like yourself. So during this Ramadan, if you can keep my beard on your prayers, I'll be, you know, that'd be very much appreciated. Inshallah, may Allah give you the right nutrients, the right uh, soil to help you grow that beard. The man behind the beard is monumental. So, you know, with or without, you're still a great man. And hopefully it echoes through to your facial hair. Inshallah. Inshallah. So, bro, we're in... um. We're in the first 10 days of Ramadan. You know, how's it all going for you? you no, know, Alhamdulillah, it's going good. It's not as bad as I thought it would be. Um, there are obvious things that I'm missing. You know, the experience, the ambiance of going to the, the masjid, the people. But other than that, you know, alive and well, good health. And everything else is really, really good. So um, it's a good start. All these points are just made, we take for granted often, don't we, when our busy schedules and lives and, you know, taking a moment there to just count our blessings uh, can obviously be night and day in how we feel. Just a bit of remembrance there. Um, it's not only just fasting and Ramadan for us. It's it's a little bit different this time around. We're in lockdown. So what we're experiencing is a big change as opposed to a normality. And, you know, as you mentioned you know, there's no gatherings at the mosque there's or masjid and there's no congregating together uh, in large groups or any groups really. It's just your immediate family, right? So since masjids aren't an option for daily prayers or our five daily obligatory prayers, as well as the tarawih, which is our um, nightly prayer during Ramadan, what does this mean for you when it comes to jamat praying in congregation? That's actually a very uh, valid point uh, because we used to obviously go to the mosque um, during Ramadan and that's something that we're already accustomed to and our spiritual levels are a lot more higher whenever we go to uh, the masjid for Ramadan. But obviously because of COVID-19 and the current circumstances, we can't do that. So I spoke to my imam and I was saying, you know, is there something that we could do? And I suggested um, if we could pray in the house, in Jamaat, and then do a, like a similar style to what we do in the masjid. But obviously myself, I'm, I'm not um, fluent in um, or have memorized the Quran in, in total, nor is my um, translation or tajweed you know, on point either. So that was my um, question to the imam. I was like, can I still do it? And he was like, um, uh, well, up for it. He was like, yeah, definitely, you should do it. So that's something that we've done. Um, me with my brothers, during um, Taraweeh, we just read in Jamaat, just the three of us, and i will be reading from the Quran. Because we're taking that time, when you're not reading uh, Taraweeh in the masjid and you're doing it in the home, 
you tend to read really fast or try to get it done with because that spiritual level is not there. However, because we're trying to do it properly and uh, we're reading from the Quran, we're taking our time. And amazingly, it's almost as good as going to the, um, the masjid. In terms of reward, it's pretty much the same. But because there's less people, maybe that spiritual high isn't there, but you're almost there and it feels good and it does feel like Ramadan because of it. Glad to hear that it's going well for you. You hit the nail on the head when it comes to praying together and that feel you get by going to the masjid. I know I feed off of energy a lot and, you know, try to soak it all up through positivity. And for me, Ramadan, I just dive in the masjid. You know, shamefully, I'm not there on a daily basis outside of Ramadan, but certainly during Ramadan, I'm there every day. And that impact of not being able to go did give me some anxiety. I was like, oh, how am I going to kind of tackle this? How is it going to feel like? And it is a oneness with God. So ultimately, whether there is a prayer facility, well, there's prayer facilities everywhere. That's the benefit for us. We can pray anywhere we want to. We can pray on a road in the corner of the street if we want to just direct ourselves towards the Qibla and we're good to go. So as long as we've got wudu, of course, and that's like uh, ablution for anyone that's not aware and um, the fact that you're you're gathering up with your siblings to to do so, that that's a beautiful thing. I think that's what it's forced us to do, hasn't it? It's yeah. it's, it's it's made us take charge, and it's given us the motivation to take the driving seat and lead the prayers like you are. Otherwise, you know, we might have taken a back seat and just let the the imam um, take us on the. Um, I was going to say take us on the journey. But, you know, it is a journey, I guess, a spiritual journey. It also helps with the confidence as well. You know, like before, we rely heavily upon going to the masjid and then relying on the imam. And even when we join the the prayer, the jama'at, we kind of switch off. I mean, it's definitely a case with me. When I, whenever I used to go to the mosque, even during Ramadan, yeah, you, you have the high spiritual levels where you're like feeling really, really good. But as soon as you start into the prayer, about 10-15 minutes in, you kind of switch off. I mean, there are times, I mean, for, when I'm speaking for myself, yeah, you know, I, I switch off and then you let your mind wander. But be, it's because you have relied on the, the imam leading prayer. So you know you're doing your part by participating, but yet not you're not fully engaged. Whereas in, um, in this smaller capacity, when we're doing the, um, the prayer, because it's just us uh, and it's my siblings, we, I feel like we're a lot more engaged and I'm, think, I'm taking more from it because, you know, you have that level of confidence that, yeah, we, we can do it, it can be done and you don't need to rely heavily upon the imam or, or the mosque. So that's, not, that's another thing that I've, I've able to take from this, which is, which I never thought it can be done. Yeah. In terms of joining the imam, leading the prayer, we are sitting a little bit more idle, aren't we? So it's only human to to slightly wander off so of course like anything we just have to focus and hone in on the uh on on the task at hand so there's so many positives coming out of it we can sit and talk about all the negatives and how it's stopping us from being able to fulfill our ramadan but i think there's always some good in every bit of bad and this is just a prime example how else are you being productive during ramadan in ways that maybe we took for granted and let others fulfill for us i.e you know joining a prayer another thing like um that i would rely the imam to do is do study circles you know we, we call halakha 
and you know every other day or some point um, during the week he would have these um, study circles with different bunch of um, people and he'll talk about various hadiths or general reminders or just general religious stuff just to keep your spiritual levels high that's another thing that you know that we did um, historically which i want to incorporate uh, again just with my siblings where we do have these little study circles and we just either talk about a particular hadith or maybe a seerah you know the biography of a prophet not not a lot because obviously we're, we're not knowledgeable people so we're taking it off books but it's a discussion point so we discuss it and just the mere discussion of um, certain religious topics it does help with your spiritual levels it just gives it acts like a reminder and it makes you be a bit more re retrospective and then compare your current life with you know for example if you're talking about the seer of the prophet you'd compare what he did in his time and therefore it kind of um it helps you appreciate and understand the current situation that you're in so that's another thing that we've um, taken on board and it's something that we want to do more often and that's having um these little study circles as well that's really good i think you kind of touched on another point i wanted to address which was like how to stay motivated and maintain the feel of ramadan and this is where you're taking leadership again right so what's not better than taking examples of our, our role models and that be it our sahabas or our prophets you know is there anything that you would encourage someone to start with or like encourage someone to look into to get them that motivation and boost we're kind of already doing it by having the discussion so just thinking more in detail see something that i've uh, that i've noticed and this again it's um on a, on a personal level is you know you got to find out where you are currently the way i see it is because it's ramadan so i'm thinking on a religious and a spiritual level so i'm thinking i need to be better muslim than i was prior to ramadan so even if that means um polishing one sentence of the Quran. So if I'm reading it and it's a very difficult read or my tajweed is very poor, I want to improve that. And that's uh, my own personal goal, for example, you know, just generally improving yourself. And it doesn't mean, uh, you know, there are people that I would know that can memorize pages and pages of the Quran. And that's not my level. I'm not there at all. But there are lots of um, small chapters that I've memorized of the Quran that, are, that I need to polish upon. So that's something that I've taken on that I need to set myself with, you know, little goals that are achievable for me that I need to achieve by the end of Ramadan. So that's one of the things that I would suggest that people can do is find out where you're currently at, have that bit of retrospect, and then set yourself small achievable goals. Because even if I was to like, you know, paraphrase a hadith, a prophet, he appreciates and likes um, good deeds that are small and are continuous than major good deeds that, you know, we're never really going to achieve. So you set yourself small attainable goals and then just work to achieve them. And it doesn't matter what it is because it's all um, individual. So my goals are different to someone else's. You know, I'm going to achieve those because those are attainable to me. Well said, bro. It's great with doing grand gestures, but, you know, yeah. consistency always wins. Like what I was going to say is the thing that I used to find really annoying is especially, you know, being a Bengali and then you watch all these uh, channels where they're trying to raise donations. And then in those in those uh, donation channels, they always like to uh, name themselves. I'm donating this much. Therefore, like, you know, 
it's for recognition, but it's that aspect that really I find it kind of annoying because whenever you do good deeds, you're not really doing it to show other people. You're doing it for yourself, for self-betterment and getting, you know, the ultimate reward in the afterlife. A lot of people, they generally do whatever they do, whatever good deeds. The sincerity is not there because they're trying to do it to impress others. And I think that's the aspect that I find really annoying. And, you know, whenever you're doing stuff, you should be doing it to improve yourself, not interested in what other people are going to say or how it affects others. That's, that never should be our objective. Our objective always should be self-improve, even if we're doing a good deed, even if it is charity, we're doing it to better ourselves. You hit the nail on the head there. It's a very popular one amongst our cultures. We share the same one. And um, it's great having a studio line to encourage others to donate. But, you know, you don't have to go into the details of who you are and how much you're really going for. Okay, maybe you can say it to encourage others, because I do see there's a thin line between ego and boasting about what you're doing and encouraging others to do good deeds. You know, I guess it's defined by your intention. It's almost like when someone does a good cause, but then documents themselves to put it online to show how great they are. Like, I don't know where I sit with it, because on one hand, you're motivating others to do good. But then on the other hand you know, just do your good deed because what's greater, encouraging others or purifying your good intentions, there's a very thin line, isn't there? And it's just probably safer to just do the good deed and keep it between you and God. A hundred percent agree. It's, it's definitely to do with tact. And again, here it's, it's about retrospect. Someone needs to know who they are. I would say um, in, even in, in a social context where they position themselves or how they are perceived um, in, the, in their social context, you know, that person, um, even if you talk about in a, in a family level, for example, someone who we see as an elder in the community, within the community, if we see them uh, donating, then uh, it encourages everybody else to be as charitable or you know, they're leading as an example. Whereas if the same people, they go overboard and they start looking for self-praise, that's when it becomes dangerous. So, you know, definitely it takes, um, you know, to echo upon what you're saying, someone who has um, a lot of influence. So that certain influencer, when they do donate, and if they're tactful about it, or it's recognized by another person. So for example, you with the um, with, with your podcast and I know you're a, um, a big podcaster um, and then I say okay Nazif he's he's um, he donates a lot or he's donated to so-and-so or he's supporting this um, charity but then the word of mouth that I generate would uh, encourage other people because you influence them but if you start blowing your own horn then it becomes like okay he's doing it himself if you know what I mean it, it depends how it's done yeah it circles back around to knowing yourself and you have to be honest with yourself and if you feel like you're gonna fall fault and be boastful about it just don't do it just do your good deed yeah i'll leave it up to you in it to blow my yeah. trumpet as opposed to me blowing it myself it's better it's someone else does it, it i'd rather hear about good things about you from someone else than yourself basically it's more reassuring isn't it someone vetting for you yeah sincere then isn't it exactly and then you can do away with the doubts and just focus on the task at hand this point that we just touched on is a very popular struggle amongst everyone really you know you can take it out of uh, context and 
it doesn't have to be just Ramadan or just Bengali culture. You know, the ego is a worldwide thing. It's, it's the biggest destruction of man, I think, because it starts with the mind, doesn't it? Course, 100%. And then the actions follow, and then it's just like a ricochet effect from there. And then it's the environment that you're creating, and then from there, you what you're doing, you're living in it. Scary thought. I want to touch upon one more thing while we're on charity. Please do. A good thing that again I picked up uh, from I don't know who, maybe my previous imam, and he was saying during Ramadan, obviously every good deed that you do is multiplied, and charity is one of the you know best um, good deeds that one can do. Obviously, everyone's kind of, uh, not everyone, me especially, I'm tapped all the time. I'm, I'm not a rich guy. I'm very poor. However, even in my capacity, I can, you know, even um, give like a pound a day. So instead of giving, say, um, hundreds of pounds in one go, if you were to sp- spread it out and do small donations every day during Ramadan, that way you're you're getting those good deeds through donations and through charity every day. And if, you know, it's just a pound, so you could just pick a charity or pick whatever and just do it daily. And it's so easy for us right now with um, with, with technology, with things like Just Giving. There's so many charitable organizations and things that are happening that we can donate. And it's, you know, it's it's only a pound. And I just thought that was such a really good idea that um, you, can, you can give during Ramadan and get those good deeds. It's a level playing ground for everyone, isn't it? Whether you're made of moolah or your skin, as you as yeah. you say. Well, what I was going to say was, you you know, you might say you're tapped, but I know your riches don't come from your wallet, bro. It comes from your heart and your mind. And that makes you a billionaire. If I just throw that in there. MashaAllah. MashaAllah. You touched on technology and I, I did want to speak on that. And I will get to that. But I think it's a good point to kind of touch on what your role is at your masjid, your mosque and um how you're involved with it so i I work as um, an activity secretary at the the masjid so i would organize um the eid parties um the eid prayers and any small social events um activities for children and activities to kind of unite the community um the city that i live in it's a very small muslim community but the beauty of it is because it's small and you only have the one mosque, which is kind of a unique situation because many cities have several mosques and they divide in terms of their cultural communities. We don't have that because it's so small. So, you know, Islam is what unites us all. So you have so many different ethnicities. You can have um, groups of Egyptians, groups of Bengalis, Indians, um, Iraqis. It's a really, really good mix but it's small enough for us to have only one mosque. And that's why uh, we have these kind of activities that, uh, you know, unites us as a community, which is why it's really sad for not having Ramadan in the masjid because we can have, you know, during Ramadan, um, during Tarawih prayer, we get to see all these people and see all these cultures. And then it's just such a, such a good experience. But I, I digress. You know, these are the activities um, that we do and these are things that i used to help out with with the with the masjid so you had so many different backgrounds under one roof and that's what really made it a unique community and now it's kind of resorted just under your home that roof and just your siblings so yeah it, it has that knock-on effect where you know how do we keep the unity going and technology is great in that front um i guess that's the uh, one of the downfalls of not being able to be out during this lockdown 
amongst the community but you know we i'm sure there's online pages whatsapp groups or whatever to just kind of keep current motivation and news circulating yeah obviously the masjid has its um its facebook group we also have um a whatsapp group for updates general reminders and our imam he's uh is very technically savvy so he started up his own little podcast things for ramadan so every day he'll have these you know 10 15 minute reminders and he, he's sharing that as well so thankfully because of technology we are still somewhat united you don't have that personal interaction but at least you have a feel of what everyone's um going through so it helped keeping us all tied up together that's brilliant i was going to say what areas can we improve on and that's a great example of how to adapt you know your imam's using technology in the most updated form podcasts are more apparent now than ever i.e what we're doing here your imam seems a little bit youthful i'm not going to take that away from my imam no offense to him in my local masjid but he seems with it because what is um is he similar age group to us yeah so he is born in the same age bracket i think he's probably a couple years older than me yeah similar age group uh, my mom, he's a little bit yeah. older, he's in, um, one of the previous generations, but he's taken that on board and he's doing video call bayans. You know, I've been oh, uh, with one of our mutual friends, Mo, who's helped us create the Masjid website, you know, just updated that with a lot more media content on there. So at the moment we're doing weekly mm. videos. But um, the fact that your imam is doing daily ones, I was thinking about maybe some audio segments where we can just upload for him to tune in because it can be a bit of effort doing daily videos but in some respect it is in some respect it isn't bang out a quick video and you know school the nation yeah. that's where we have to stay up to date another area that i feel like we need to adapt on is the fact that we're on lockdown you know we can't attend the masjid how are they getting their donations yes there's standing orders and then there's bank details but you know there's nothing and nothing beats a good old bucket where you pass around and you know people can throw in their cash and etc um a lot of masjids i know have got contact lists uh we don't have that as of yet but i, I really want to put something like that in my mosque and um you know i was also looking into what ways we can have donations how um our mosque can obtain donations so you know paypal i think is quite dear in price so we can't really have that there's some sort of texting platform right where you can text i don't know local mosque and then the amount you want to pay and wire it that way and and you know it's just finding the right measures to stay current and you know a way to stay afloat because our mosques they rely on donations to survive really don't they i'm, I'm really glad you touched up on that subject because during covid 19 a lot of mosques are struggling my mosque included you know 100% rely upon um, donations, those weekly donations, the couple of hundred pounds we get, it sustains the imam, sustains the, the maintenance of the masjid. So, you know, it's really, we're really, really struggling. Uh, we had to send out a text message campaign throughout WhatsApp to to all the members to set them up as, um, uh, to set up direct debits. Even businesses, we're speaking to businesses as well. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of businesses are closed as well because of it. But, you know, everyone has to do what they can at the end of the day and, you know, just try to survive, survive from it. But, yeah, and it's mostly cash as well, isn't it? You know, not a lot of people rely on that. I think it's a, a cultural thing that we should be changing because it's a lot of the old school people that, that give the big um, cash donations. You know, our generation, we could 
we can do the tech thing if it, if there was a tech facility where we contact let's just touch a card and give our money but with the older generations they're the one that you know give cash and we need, we need to find a way to figure that one out mm-hmm. i think in terms of older generations contributing more so uh, is another debate to have in terms of what we as this new generation can do and take on from them and take it to another level and i guess against that we are we're looking we're having this conversation now aren't we and how to stay afloat and there's got to be more out there for us that we can do um there's whatsapp groups like you mentioned but these are like regulars um there's a big footfall of mm. people that come that aren't regulars and all of that we're missing by having the mosque doors closed so it's highlighting where you can donate because you know without it how long can someone survive like this yeah and we're a tourist city as well so like a big chunk of it is is people that are not non-regulars yeah so the listeners know where about is your mosque where do you live where i live i live in bath it's a heritage town yeah and i guess the the town itself relies on tourism and, and that is affecting yeah, heavily. others it's not just the must you mentioned you know businesses and we were touching on adapting to times so you know re- restaurants and so forth the only way they could survive is obviously closing down the in-house side and opening up for deliveries only you manage a business and um a restaurant business and how are you guys staying afloat are you accepting collections or is it just deliveries well we we closed down uh, we have a takeaway and because um our staff are of a vulnerable age would say so just for their benefit we decided to just close the place down for three weeks yeah which we did and then we just recently opened it up again so unfortunately we missed the peak trade period because i hear from other people that during that time that's when they had some crazy trade but we we unfortunately missed it out, which is which is fine to be honest you still made the right decision yeah. i think and then the, the, if something had happened you know with these with the with the vulnerable people that we have then that would be on us it would have been because of our greed so i'm kind of happy that we we closed it and we now opened it up again but at a um with a limited menu and um with limited staff so the vulnerable people they're not part of the takeaway during this time and it's purely but, uh, with myself uh, my brother-in-law and um my wife and uh, their sister and literally it's us and we don't, we don't know about anything about the trade or never knew as much as we did as much as we do now because we again relied heavily upon the elder generation who know everything like the back of their hand but since they've left and we've um put them in kind of a protection and we've established this place with um with a limited menu we were able to bang out the work you know we could do everything and we you know we never really needed them which was again another thing that we've uh gain confidence in ourselves as well like we thought we need them we would be desperate for them but we don't and um we're surviving i mean is the trade is not as much as it was uh prior to uh lockdown but it's enough for us to get by because you've made these adapt uh, because you've adapted a limited menu you've got rid of yeah. the vulnerable staff you're working as a unit man it's like a family business it's great to hear these are great examples for those yeah, that don't know what family. to do you know and hopefully it's a temporary measure and then you can go back to normality or a version of normality in due course and hopefully you can grow there again you know it's okay to maintain for a little while during dark times you can worry about expansion and growth and sustaining the level of income you were getting you can worry about the customers you had at a later date 
focus on the areas you need to at the moment and yeah you're doing good um i guess that kind of moves me on to what you're like eating during suhoor or iftar during obviously ramadan so suhoor is the meal you have before sunrise and we fast from sunrise to sunset and then there's the next meal which is at sunset which is iftar and you know the whole feel of ramadan is a lot to do with the food because even though there's a, a lack of food there's a focus on for food sure. when we can eat right what are you eating culturally as as bengalis we live for iftar to be honest <laughs> The amount of crap we consume in that short space of time. I know a lot of people that, you know, I'm guilty as one of those people who end up putting on more weight at the end of Ramadan. Then, then um, it's really counterproductive. You're supposed to lose weight, but you end up gaining weight because of the crap you eat. But this time around, alhamdulillah, I'm trying to change things up and um, trying to keep it a lot more cleaner. You know, um, I won't know what, what the name is in, um, in English, but what we call is kisuri or, or maybe rice pudding maybe oh as in others might call it zao right yeah, yeah, yeah so that's 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 a staple so that's why we have to have in um for during iftar and then i try to keep it light you know refrain from eating you know those samosas the kebabs and stuff from the fryer i mean it gets cooked but i try to like limit myself to one or two and then for suhoor or as bengalis we call it potabala or others might call it i sehri. have um, a couple of boiled eggs and a protein shake so i try to keep it completely clean because otherwise you have like indigestion problems in the morning or you wake up really really thirsty or hungry how about yourself sorry i was gonna say you hit the nail on the head with the indigestion problems of eating nonsense one thing i don't miss i know this is really bad to say but the one thing i don't miss about going to the mosque after iftar is how when i'm in congregation praying and you've got all those that don't adhere to healthy eating and just belch their souls oh. away i can literally taste on my tongue what they ate if that i know that they had some deep fried battered aubergines which is begoni for us in our culture dalurbara which is like deep fried lentils in like almost like a ball and all those samosas and you can see that the jubba or like the attire they're wearing the buttons are about to burst out and i'm thinking hang on a minute fasted all this time only to become unhealthy i'm not putting my ju judging hat on as much because i'm guilty of it too but we're in the information age now so we should know better it's a exactly. cleanse of the soul as well as the body uh hence the fasting the detoxification stage is a real thing of all our vital organs and you know we do all our fasting throughout the day and then we put that crap back into us we really gotta have that conversation with ourselves if we haven't had it already and take it's measures counterproductive very counterproductive mine too such a major pet peeve where people are really inconsiderate in the masjid in a in a social environment and you're just letting them rip and like not even trying to hold back you know you could just you could just sense it that they just don't care they're just letting on letting it all out bro when you say rip are you talking about from the back end or from the front from the front end but it's not just as bad <laughs> preach i think that's when i need my 95 mask more than ever exactly i'm more dangerous <laughs> yeah um belch 19 so for me i've been trying to limit it i've been a bit of a diva i'm not really having those cliche meals as much i used to smash it when i was younger bro i didn't care but um you know i'm trying to keep awesome. it grilled i'm trying not to have my stomach full of gas and feel bloated it's a crap feeling so this is where i'm more on it now than ever during this month in terms of scheduling my meals yes there's a time frame to start eating and stop eating but it's 
the time between eating my meal before sunrise and lying back down in bed because I hate that feeling when you're stuffed and then you're lying down and then you just feel crap. The whole idea is to feel good about it. So we have to focus on the matter at hand here, which is a blissful, spiritual, cleansed feeling, not letting some go belching and gaining weight. It's definitely a popular one that I'm sure everyone's guilty of. So I'm not judging anyone, me included, right? I've said this before, but it's a conversation that we should have again and again. Yeah, so I was going to say, along them lines of, you know, controlling what you're eating, um, I would also want to add concerns about training, basically, fitness. Mm, preach. You know, uh, again, I'm guilty, guilty for this as well, where you should keep your focus on the matter of matter on hand, which is, you know, spirituality. But then because you're fasting, I used to get really concerned about, oh, I'm going to lose, you know, all the effort that I put into the gym and trying to gain some muscle mass. Although it's not much, but, you know, you get, you get too involved in it. And then you think, oh, when I'm fasting, I'm going to start losing it all and everything. And the reality is we shouldn't really be focusing on our physical health. Our priority should always be, on our spiritual journey and improving ourselves spiritually. And then afterwards, you know, you'll be back to normal anyway. So for that one month, it shouldn't be difficult for us to put everything on um, a back burner and let not that be our focus or our driver. I mean, you can still do what you need to. You can still, when it comes to food, eat a bit more, you know, that extra procura now and then, that's fine. If you need to train, yeah, you could, you know, even that you're in lockdown, you can train in your house, you know, instead of, pushing big weights, rep it out and then um, do it during a time where you're feeling strong. You know, after um, Suhoor, after Tarawih, I'm oh, sorry, before Suhoor, after Tarawih, that's a good time when you can do it, but have it as part of your routine and you never should be thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to lose all my gains or whatever. That's again, all it should be on the back burner. Have it in the routine, but never let it be your main focus. That's one thing that personally that I used to um, get worried about of, uh, of losing my you know quote unquote gains 100 percent. i've been guilty of that too but we can't forget muscle memory bro it'll come back so it's not that deep we've got to like strip back on all the other areas that we feel is important and it's less about us and more about the cause so we just gotta keep drilling that in our heads i've been a little bit injured so you know played a little mini violin but so i've been laying low from (laughs) from the workouts but previously you know i would work out actually just before iftar and I might be depleted by that time but I'm fueling back up from there because previously we'd be going to the mosque and spending a lot of time there especially if you're banging out 20 rakats right so it's like the longest version of that nightly prayer and um, you won't have time other times I would go after that you know I won't sleep so I hope my employers aren't listening but you know I wouldn't sleep after the uh, Terawi prayers I would finish up go to the gym bang out a session come back smash a meal and probably stay up till Fajr you know but then I, I have a flexible role so I can start a little bit later I have that but it's what works for you and accepting what is um the focus so you know yeah exactly it comes it boils back down to that but you must have got you got nice structure haven't you like and you'll probably be a, like a, what, a mesomorph so probably retain the muscle mass anyway oh inshallah bro inshallah i hope that's the case and you my friend you embody bruce lee that's who i see when i look at you some enter the dragon stuff right there so i know you've got the energy and the chi to just fire back and bounce back even if you are taking some days off you're not supposed to lie you <laughs> shouldn't lie anyway this isn't lies this is real <laughs> facts 
this guy's a very modest person, you know. And that's why he, what not better person to have on my first Ramadan series of the lockdown. 